Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. Good morning, church, and thank you for the birthday wishes, phone calls, texts, all of that. Love you guys a ton, and thank you for your care for me and my family. Uh, If you are a guest, I want to kind of get you caught up. Uh, We've been in the book of John. It's in the New Testament. It's one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what we like to do as a church is go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through books of the Bible so that you know God's word rather than my opinions about whatever I could share. And so today we just pick up the next part of our study. And so today we're in John 1, 19 through 34, and we're looking this week at a new character in our study. We're looking at John the Baptist, and we're going to learn a lot from him about our identity. So if you're taking notes, that's the title of today's message, Our Identity. Now, as we get started, let me tell you a little bit about my college days that were unfortunate. Won't share any embarrassing stories, but let me share something. There was a a breach in my college database uh, in college several years ago, and my identity was actually stolen from this breach. And that loss of identity, guys, affected everything. It affected my finances, my ability to travel, and most of all, it affected my sanity (laughs) trying to deal with all of the things that a stolen identity deal with. Guys, it was awful. It took up so much of my time and my energy and my effort because it took a lot to get it all sort of sorted out. But what I found interesting was the path that I had to go down in order to recover my stolen identity. The banks and the insurance company and the FTC all had me go back to the original documentation that recorded proof of my actual identity. So I went back and I pulled the original copy of my birth certificate, which was literally typed out on a typewriter in the 1980s. Shows you how old I am, right? I had to give my original car title and bank statements all to provide the proof that I was indeed the real Aaron Peters. And finally, I got it all worked out. But here's the point of that. In order to restore, guys, my lost identity, I had to go back to the written words, original copies of documents revealing who I was and where I've been and what I do. And friends, listen, we have to do the very same thing with our own identities and the word of God. Guys, we have to go back to the word of God to be reminded of who we are in Christ, our worth and value in him. And what he's done for us on the cross. Because guys, if not, we'll end up losing our sense of identity and we're gonna seek it in accomplishments or relationships or careers or possessions. And that's a road that only leaves you feeling lost and empty and burnt out. But friends, as we turn again and again to God's word, we find the identity that we've longed for all of our lives to be wanted and to be loved, to be secured, and to be valued. And guys, that's the identity we have because of Christ's death for us on the cross. 
And my friends, that's what today's passage in John is really all about. So if you're taking notes again, today's sermon title is Gospel Identity. And today we're going to look at how knowing who he is, God, it helps us to know who you are as people. Does that make sense? That's where we're going today. And in fact, the passage actually begins in verses six through eight. And what Kyle preached the other week was this beautiful prologue sharing major themes of who Christ is. He's the word. He's the life. He's the light. He's God made flesh and he dwells among us. And Kyle did a fantastic job painting a beauty on the mountaintop of who Christ is. And in the midst of that, the author John pauses and starts talking about another John to help us to see how he saw himself in light of how God saw him. And so this passage actually starts in verses six through eight by introducing us to this new character named John. Now listen, guys, he's not the same John who wrote this book of John, but John still is significant. And he's gonna show us three things about how our identity works this week. He's going to show us number one, if you're taking notes, he's gonna show us who we are not. Number two, he's gonna show us who we are. And number three, and most importantly, he's gonna show us who Jesus is. Because again, church, if we understand these three things, it will help us stay anchored to the identity of love that we have in Christ. And guys, it's gonna keep us from seeking, uh, trying to achieve an identity of love out from the world. It helps us to see our identity in God's word. So let's start with the first one, guys, okay? The gospel shows us who we are not. So in verses six through eight, we find this introduction. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And John came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him, through his witness. Verse eight, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. In this section, the author John, who happens to be a local fisherman, which we'll learn as the story goes on. This local fisherman is writing to us about another man who goes by the nickname of John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. If you saw last week, we had baptisms and we're literally having people step into water as a symbol of God washing away their sin. The water doesn't wash away the sin, Christ's death on the cross does, but the water represents a cleansing that Christ did on the cross. And John is doing his ministry and he is leading people to faith in this Christ and how Christ lived and died and rose and forgives sin. And John is baptizing people and he gets the cool nickname on the street, John the Baptizer, John the Baptist. And that's where we pick up from. And this other John, though, he starts out by using one of his favorite themes and metaphors that you're going to see in the book. He starts talking about the metaphor of light, light. He says in verse seven that this John the baptizer has come to bear witness about the light that all might believe through his witness. 
Guys, John is using the imagery of light here to reveal to us something very important about Jesus. And that is that Jesus brings sight, he brings clarity, and he brings goodness. I didn't put this in my sermon notes but, or in the slides, but write that down. That's what the light is referencing. Jesus brings sight, clarity, and goodness. That's what John is saying. This is the light. Jesus brings sight to those who are trapped in the darkness of sin. Jesus brings clarity to the way out of the darkness of sin. And Jesus brings goodness to those who are stuck in the darkness of sin. How? By forgiving them and giving them righteousness to anyone and everyone who would turn and trust in him. But then John goes a little bit further as almost to like alleviate any pressure from this John the Baptist to try to be this kind of light that only Jesus can be. He says in verse eight, to clarify, John was not this light. John is not the one that can bring sight or clarity or goodness. John is not the light, but he did come to bear witness about the light. And right here is where I want to pause. Because this right here is what I love about John the Baptist and what I want us to see about his witness. John is so confident in his identity in Christ that he never tried to be someone that he was not. He knew that he was only to be a witness to the light but not the source of the light itself. Like, see what I mean here in verse 19. We see this theme pop up again. Stay with me. Verse 19, he says this. And this is the testimony of John when other Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem. And they came and asked them, hey, John, who are you? And so John confessed and he did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. I am not that Messiah and King that all the Jewish people have been waiting on. So then they continue their questions and they ask him, well, then what then? If you're not the light, if you're not Christ, are you Elijah? Elijah meaning that prophet in 2 Kings chapter 2 that never died, but was carried to heaven by that chariot of fire who was supposed to come back to earth one day. And so they ask, hey, are you that Elijah? And he said to them calmly, I am not. And so they're like, okay, let's try a fourth one here. Are you the prophet, the prophet, they ask. That perfect prophet that Moses promised way back in the book of Deuteronomy verse, or chapter 18. That prophet they talked about that would come and guide the people and be with the people of Israel. And again, he just stepped back and he answered with this simple No. John knew who he was in Christ. And therefore, church, he never tried to be someone that he was not. He was content and convinced and confident in who he was and what his purpose was in the world. And when he was asked if he was one of the big three, the big name, the big status, the big important guys, he just said, nope, I'm John. And church, that... That right there, what that teaches us is that because of the gospel, because of what Jesus did for you, wasn't just an action done, it was an identity given. 
because of what Jesus did on the cross, you are now remade as one who is loved and valuable and wanted and treasured and honored and given dignity, sacrificed for, prized. This is a beautiful thing that Christ has given to us. What this teaches us is that you now are, if you're a Christian, you are freed from having to chase after an identity for your worth and your value and your significance. Guys, like John, you're actually given the identity again of being wanted, loved, and valued. And now you're simply just free to be a witness to that light. So church, here's what we pick up from this first point. Guys, let's stop trying to find our identity and worth in a relationship, in a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or if I could get married, then maybe I would, I would be loved. Maybe I would be important if I got these letters next to my name, P-H-D. Or finally, I could get the status of my job and be elevated to another three letters, C-E-O, C-F-O, whatever the case may be. Where we find our identity is not in a relationship. We we need to stop looking for it there or a career or an accomplishment. The gospel allows you to breathe in and say, I am loved because of what God's done for me. I am significant because of his sacrifice on the cross for me. And many of us, we are dying at our job just to be recognized for our accomplishment trying to climb the ladder, be acknowledged, see what we can add to our companies. We do this in school as well with our grades, or I graduated from this university with this degree. Look at me now. And we're trying to earn a significance, but the significance doesn't come from school. It comes from a savior. Comes from what Christ has already done for you. So it allows us to breathe, allows us to rest and relax. Because we don't have to climb a ladder trying to go up to significance. God came down that ladder in the flesh so that we could have an identity in him. Does that make sense? Guys, is that, that, theologically that clicks, right? All of us are like, that sounds awesome, but it's hard in practice, right? Guys, you're staring at the biggest hypocrite in practice in my own heart. In my head, I get this theology. I am loved because of what Christ did, but my heart is so slow so slow to really believe this. Guys, just to be honest with you, even when I prepare sermons, I'm like, how am I going to say this? Am I going to say this in a pithy way or a humor way? When, I can, I, when can I put my dad joke in there? And sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm tempted in there to perform in a sermon so that you will look at me as more valuable. When God tells me, Aaron, you don't have to perform to be loved. I performed by living a perfect life so you could have that value. I performed on that cross and and suffered six hours of a brutal crucifixion. I performed without sin so you could have this righteousness, this, this love, this value. And guys, it takes every day when I wake up to reset my heart and to believe it again. So church, let me ask you, where do you struggle to practically believe where your identity comes from? Think about your dating app. 
You recognize how many people have either passed you up or you thought you'd get more matches and you start thinking about yourself or how you look or how your life is or you wish you were like this or like that and then maybe you would have more and we begin to look at Instagram and social media and people's lives and we think, man, if I just look like this and have this, then maybe I would feel different and we start to derive a value between how many clicks or likes or shares followers we have and we derive a value from a screen over from a savior that's already given the value. Does that make sense, guys? I know you're with me. I know you're with me. Every day we've got to wake up when our hearts are on default, earn your worth. We got to receive and understand that we've already been given a worth. Does that make sense? That will save you from so much heartache, so much burnout. So many relationships that you never really should have been in because you were trying to earn love when love's already been given. Does that make sense? I'll breathe that in and just hear what we're learning from John. John can easily say, nope, I'm not that. Nope, I'm not that. Nope, I'm not that. Because I know who I am. And I know that I'm a child of God. And I know my purpose. And he can be confident. No, guys, I'm not the best preacher. No, I'm not the best pastor. No, I'm not the best husband. I'm not the best father. I'm not the best Christian. My identity is not found in any of those things. My identity and your identity is found in Christ and what he's done for you. Amen, does that make sense? So help your heart and set you free. That's the first thing. The gospel shows us who we aren't. But number two, and hopefully more importantly, the gospel shows us who we are, who we are. Now in verse 22 and 23, John the Baptist tries to close out this identity conversation with these Jewish priests and Levites. They ask him one more time. They're like, dude, for real, just help us out, okay? Who are you? Who are you? Because we need to give an answer to those people that sent us. So what do you say about yourself? And I love John's answer that he gives in verse 23. I want you to lean in and listen to what he says and how we can apply this to our own life. To answer this identity question, he actually reaches back in the passages of scripture. He goes all the way in his mind to Isaiah 40, a passage that was written some 700 years before he was born. And he says, this is who I am. I am defined by what God says, who God says that I am. And then he recites from memory, Isaiah 40, verse three, which reads, he says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the ways of the Lord. And it's right here, church, it's right here that what we learn is that John let God's word determine who he was and not the world. Guys, we must do the same thing. Let God's word, how he speaks, how he sees us, let that weigh in on the deepest parts of our insecurities, the deepest parts of how we see ourselves, how we feel about ourselves, in our anxiety, our depression, our nervousness, maybe our self-hatred. We've got to let how God sees and speaks about you from the Bible weigh in deep on yourself. John lets God's word determine who he was and not the world. 
Guys, just imagine for a moment, what if John did say, yeah, I'm the Christ. I am Elijah, or I am the prophet. I am the light. He would get a lot of notoriety. His ministry or church would be massive. Maybe he'd get more money, more accolades. Maybe he'd get the value and worth that he's always been wanting. Because again, this John the Baptist guy, he's a weird dude. As you read and you'll, you'll learn, he like wore like animal hair as clothes. Like not like cool, like mink, nice like leather jackets or something, but like weird camel hair sweaters. Like that weird kind of guy. And for lunch, he ate locusts. And he lives out in the wilderness. Dude's a weird guy. People have been mocking him for a long time now. In fact, his parents were ultra, ultra, ultra old. So I'm sure he got mocked growing up. He had sort of a supernatural birth that happened with him. His dad was super old. His mom was super old. God provided a miracle for them to have a child. His dad was mute for a long time because he struggled to believe this miracle. Then when he was born, he says, yes, this is my son, John. Prophesied that he would do great things. John's life was weird growing up. And maybe for the first time, he was like, yeah, I can be someone. Finally, I can prove my worth. And maybe you feel the same way. You've come to Boston to prove to your mom or dad, you prove to yourself, prove to somebody that you can make it. You can make it without their help. I can be someone. And in that moment, what John could have done is what we often do. I prove myself. I show who I am. I'm going to be strong. I want to prove my worth. Look at the value I can add. See how significant I am. I'm irreplaceable. This world needs me. But rather than assuming an identity that wasn't his, with confidence, he says, no, 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 this, this word is going to determine who I am, not the world. Guys, every day I wish I could remember that. Every day. Even last night, we had a really good CG leader sync. Your CG leaders got together at my house and we prayed for our church. We prayed for you if you're in our group's ministry. We were excited about for what God's doing in our church and we tried to brainstorm of God, what would you be doing in our congregation? How do we lead our people further to you? And the very end, Kyle and Alex were hanging out with me a little bit longer and helping me clean up the house. And our leaders were also doing that, but Kyle and Alex stayed a little bit longer and they just begin to ask, how are you doing, Aaron? Like, how are you processing things with your mom and how are things going with your heart? And just, it's been a difficult year for you as, as it has for many others. And I begin to share a little bit about the struggle with my own heart and finding my worth and things that can never satisfy or fulfill me. And both Kyle and Alex reminded me yet again of the gospel. Hey, Aaron, you know that we love you. We know that God loves you, even if you weren't there for our church the past few months. You weren't loved because you showed up or didn't show up or because you performed or didn't perform. You're loved simply because you're God's child. You're loved because of what he did. And guys, it's that sort of language that's refreshing. I'm being reminded of God's word. And so they put God's word on me rather than how the world determines value they let God's word do that. And it's such an encouraging thing. And my friends, that's why, just a plug, that's why community group is so valuable, so important. It's understanding God's word deeper and understanding how God's word affects you deeper 
And you need a community of people around you to help you understand, drink in deeper, be comforted and loved in that word. Does that, does that make sense? That's the beauty of community. And I'm receiving that from you all in a difficult season in life. Guys, in fact, our, our world, your culture, your workplace, your school, right around us, our world encourages us to look to one or two places for identity. It tells you to look within yourself to find your identity or towards external things to find your identity. In fact, one of the first places that you and I can be tempted to look is again, it's that career. You're spending your time, your energy pursuing your career, which is good, but it can cause you to feel like it's the defining characteristic of who you are and why you matter. After all, a a job is something you're dedicated to and it's, it's what you give the majority of your daytime freshest hours to. Jobs are important and we should do them well. But jobs and careers are, aren't the only place that we can search for our identity. We often look for it in the comfort of financial success that if I have this much money, then I will be cared for. Things will be okay in my life. I can have more comfort in my life that can soothe the challenges that I have. We can look for it in a status, a relationship that we've talked about, but it doesn't stop there. It folds over into our appearances and our grades and how many kids we have or how well behaved our children are or what we say to a stranger when they ask us what's our job or what school we went to. All of it is tempting us to find our identity in something else. Guys, any and all of these things at first feel like solid foundations. They give us a people to belong to, a respect to look up to, something like that. But none of these foundations, they're not permanent. They could change without warning. Guys, if you base your identity off of things like success and and, and wealth and, and power, your physical appearance and so on, you're setting yourself up for a ton of heartache and a lot of disappointment. A sudden job loss could leave you questioning your entire identity. One piece of gossip at work or school in your friend group could destroy how you see yourself. And even your appearance as you get older and maybe you've gained weight. I know I have. You don't look the same way you used to. And maybe you liked how you looked then and thought you were more beautiful or more valuable then in your 20s or teens. And now in your 30s or 40s or 50s, you're like, maybe, maybe I'm not as desirable because of the way I look. If we base our identity off on anything and it shifts, it crumbles, so do we. So what should we build our identity off of? It needs to be unchanging. It needs to be steady. It needs to be true and right and unending. And that's who God is. We build our identity on him. God is unchanging. He is reliable. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you choose to find your worth and identity in him, you will never ultimately be let down because time and time again, he's proven to be trustworthy. So we must base our identity on what God has done for you in Christ and therefore now how he sees you in him. So this is a shout out for Jenna. Jenna, just like Taylor Swift would say, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 22. I've got a list of 22 I am 
identity statements from scripture, 22 of them that remind you of who you are in him because of what he's done for you. So if you've got your phone on you, just take a screenshot. I'm just gonna bulletproof, bulletproof, maybe that's a song too, but I'm just going to bullet point, walk through these things and you can take a screenshot, put them on your phone background, bring them up in your house, print them off. This is who you are. So when you look in the mirror tomorrow morning and you see someone you don't like, someone that has a little bit more weight on them, someone that's not as far in life as they feel like they wanna be. They're not married, they don't have kids, that no one's pursuing them right now and you look and you don't like that person in the mirror. This is how we determine who we are. We look in that mirror and we say, Ephesians 1, 6 through 8, I am a forgiven person. No matter what I did last night, shame and guilt will not have its hold on me. I am forgiven. You look and say, I am reconciled with God. I'm not abandoned by him. I am loved by him. I've been pursued and chosen by him. I'm reconciled to this God. I have peace with him. You look and say, I've been rescued and I am being rescued from whatever hardship, depression, anxiety that you're in. I am rescued and being rescued. I'm not gonna be left here. You look in that mirror and said, I am redeemed. Meaning number five, I have been bought with a price. I was so valuable that Christ shed his perfect eternal life so that I could be a part of his family, so I could know him. Number six, you look in that mirror and you say, I, I am known by this God. If you feel like no one understands you guys, if you, if you ever walk home, get up from work and you're like, man, I just wish, like no one understands what I'm going through. No one grasps the weight of what I'm going through right now. You can look in that mirror and from Romans 8, 29, you can know that God knows every intricacy, every detail of what you're facing right now. You are truly not alone. In fact, that's why God put on flesh and lived a life on this earth with physical bones and physical flesh and muscle so that you could go to him as your high priest and he would say, I know, I know what betrayal feels like. I know what it's like to be abandoned. I know what it's like for a friend or a loved one to turn their back on you. I know what it feels like to be in low places. This is the type of God we're talking about. And for you to ever think that you're alone or not loved is just not true. It's not true. You look in that mirror and you're like, I'm chosen by this God. I'm justified and forgiven by this God. I'm accepted by him with all my flaws, all my insecurities, all my failures. I'm accepted by him. I come to him as I am. He's forgiven what I've done and he brings me into his family and he loves me enough to change me into his image. You say, I'm saved by him. I'm alive in him. I'm free and being freed in him. I'm secure in him. I'm a new creation. I'm born of him. I'm adopted by him. I'm a child of promise. I'm a citizen of his kingdom. I'm a member of his family. I'm counted as his friend. I'm sealed. I'm loved deeply. Guys, these are the things that help us in one of the most culturally broken moments that we have seen in human history in the West. All of us in this room are dealing with certain mental health challenges. And although, yes, we believe in medication, yes, we believe in therapists, absolutely in counselors, yes, we do. We also believe that part of our job is to believe rightly about who we are in light of what God has done. 
And that helps us in the mental health crisis that all of us face about worth, identity, meaning. Am I in the right place? Am I doing the right things? Who am I? What clothes do I wear? Does it raise my status? All of these things that can be so much for us. These 22 things are just a small snippet of what the Bible has to offer. And the more you know about this God, the more you know of yourself, the more you feel secured in this God, the more you feel secured in yourself, the more you know of God's love, the more you feel love. It's a property that just goes right with each other. And guys, the more and more you drink this in, you talk like this to each other, the more and more you find a strength, a resolve, a confidence, a peace when you walk through life, a peace to all of us. I know that you want, amen? Amen. Third thing, last thing, the most important thing. We've seen already that the gospel shows us who we aren't. The gospel shows us who we are. And then finally, number three, the gospel shows us who Jesus is. This is the most supreme important part of this passage. So what happens in the scriptures right now is that John gets done with this one conversation and then goes into his ministry job the next day, sharing about the gospel, telling people about Jesus. And it picks up in verse 29, it says this. The next day, John the baptizer saw Jesus coming toward him. And he like shouts out with a lot of excitement. He's a hype guy. I imagine he's like Enneagram 8 or something like that, or it's just a really bold, excited person. And he says this. He's like, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's like, guys, this is the guy I've been talking about. This is him. This is him who I've said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because in fact, he was before me because he's existed from all of time. Even though I was born first, John says, of the flesh, he's always existed because this is God himself. This is Jesus. He says, I myself didn't know him at first when God gave me this responsibility to tell him, tell others about him. But for this purpose, I came baptizing with water so that this guy, this Jesus can be revealed to all of Israel. I love John's excitement here. And what he does in a moment, he pulls out another theme. We see the theme of light, how Jesus gives clarity and sight and goodness in our darkest days in the darkest sins. But we also see the second theme that Jesus is not just a light, but he is the lamb. He is the Lamb. My wife just texted me, how did it go? <laughs> Apparently I'm running a little bit late. <laughs> Let me take a moment and turn off my notifications. <laughs> what a great moment. I love that woman. <laughs> Guys, what are we talking about here, right? The lamb. Talk about the lamb. Kyle, don't do any of what I'm doing, okay? Learn how to preach from somebody else, all right? Declaring that Jesus is the Lamb of God is the second theme we see here. And this term, guys, is not some inconsequential phrase that like is disconnected from John's day or our day. See, the religious leaders and the Jewish people would have heard this term given to someone, the Lamb, and they would have recognized that in that term given to someone, something spiritually significant was happening in that declaration, they would hear and think when someone was called the lamb of God, they would hear and think about all of the lambs that were sacrificed in the Old Testament. 
all those lambs that were sacrificed, when someone would come and they would bring a lamb before God, they would put their hand on the lamb as if, not really, but as if they were transferring their sins to that lamb. Then they would sacrifice that lamb and that blood would be dipped on their hands and their feet and their head, covering the entirety of their body in symbolism that God would forgive them. That lamb of all the sacrifices of the Old Testament was pointing to this ultimate lamb, the lamb of God. And when someone was declared as that lamb, this was a big deal. And those with spiritual eyes to see and ears to hear would realize that this just isn't a lamb, this is the lamb. As one theologian, A.W. Tozer says this, this lamb, this Jesus, is the full summation of what all the dead and dying lambs through the centuries point us to. In other words, Jesus just isn't a lamb. He's the lamb who takes away the sins of the world, of you and of me. He is the lamb that all other sacrificial lambs anticipate and point to. Guys, listen, he's the sacrificial lamb of Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22. He's a lamb that was stuck in the thicket to be slaughtered. He's the sacrifice in Exodus 12 when God's people killed a lamb without blemish and had the blood put on the doorpost so that God's wrath would pass over them on the basis of that lamb's blood. Jesus is the lamb in Isaiah 53 that is led to the slaughter so that by his wounds, we are healed. And finally, Jesus is that lamb in Revelation 5 who is ruling and reigning and worthy of all of our praise. Jesus is not one sacrificial lamb in a long list of many. He is the sacrificial lamb that ends all sacrifices. And you know what that means? It means that you don't have to sacrifice to gain your worth. You don't have to earn or try because it was already done for you. Some of us are so burnt out. We're so tired. We're so exhausted trying to love and serve and care and appease everybody else. But there's one who has been sacrificed. He laid down his life. He went to the end so that you could rest from all of your working, all of your sacrificing. Yes, we're still called to give. Yes, we're still called to work. Yes, we're still called to sacrifice, but not for our identity. And that allows us to breathe in and out. The lamb has come. The final sacrifice has come. All the work has been complete. And that's why Jesus' last words on the cross were even what? It is finished. What was finished? The battle for your worth. The battle for love. The battle from the enemy to draw you out of sin into righteousness through faith in Christ. It's finished. It's over. You don't got to climb anymore. You don't got to earn anymore. You don't got to try anymore to be loved, significant, valued. You already are a Christian. Live from that, not for that. Amen? This is the beauty of what the lamb means. It makes all the difference for us. And what's beautiful about this lamb versus other lambs is that all the other lambs, a man or a person had to bring the lamb before God to be sacrificed. But God flips that. Rather than a man bringing a lamb to God, God brings the lamb to mankind. He has brought you his best gift, 
himself. He's lived in your place where you could not live perfectly to be in a right relationship. He died sacrificially so your sins could be forgiven. He rose from the dead so that he could send his spirit to bring you into his family if you would just turn and believe and stop trying to be good enough to go to heaven and trust that Jesus was good enough for you and gave you that record. This is the point. This is who Jesus is. He's the lamb who takes away the sin of the world and gives you the righteousness, love, and value that you need. This is how knowing God helps you know who you are. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Amen.